Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Naked and Inside Out. I'm Cynthia Katera, joined with Janine Toro, tech mastermind and cook extraordinaire. <laughs> we, we are an LGBT podcast highlighting people in the community doing some incredible things with their lives and careers. <laughs> and we're here to share these stories with you to provide a source of inspiration for our listeners. So today's episode... We are renting out a breather room uh, in Union Square, and we have a huge show in store for today. So today, we have with us Jennifer Brown, who is an expert in speaking on leadership, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace. Her TED Talk, entitled Finding Your Place in the Workplace, has uh, inspired and transformed many who listen to it. So Jennifer, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for taking Thanks time for out of your day me. to talk with sure, us. Sure, delighted. Um, so can you walk us through a little bit about your background and how you got started with your business today? Sure. Well, uh, I was in, right out of college, I was in nonprofit management. I always wanted to be an activist, and it was always important to me to change the world, um, but I was also an opera singer. So I came to New York, late 20s, to make it. And I, um, it's kind of a long story, and I cover it in my TED Talk, actually, which is called Finding Your Voice in the Workplace. But I, um, I pursued a career in opera. I got my master's in voice and vocal performance, and I was heading towards a career in music theater and opera. And got my equity card, and um, then I ran into some trouble, which I don't know if you want me to go into, but you'll hear more about it in the TED Talk. And I had to switch careers, and I found my way to the field I'm in now, which is this um, incredible field I didn't know much about around organizational change and leadership. And I got my second master's degree in OD from Fordham University, and it kind of started me on this path of looking at human potential in the workplace, thinking about my own role in that and my own experience with that, and really becoming a change agent. And that was kind of 10 years ago. I've almost had the company for 10 years. Um, and it's morphed and grown to be more and more, I think, true to who I am mm -hmm. and my mission. Although I'm not sure I could have designed it the way that it's turned out. And that's, isn't that like life? Yeah, <laughs> <of course. laughs> It's lovely. Follow the road. You don't know where it's leading, but... Um, but I did, and I'm thrilled to have what I have now and work with the people I do and have an incredible team and really feel like we are making a difference. That's amazing. How did uh, the TED Talk come about? So the TED Talk came about, um, I almost didn't do it, actually. I remember I struggled with the dis with the offer to do it, which is amazing because now most, yeah. you know, most people are dying to get one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Most people are like, does somebody, like, how does, oh, how does the, whatever, the TED person cup, do they, yeah. like, it's a strange and mysterious world. Um, I I Who use, is this TED? Yes, it is not a person. It stands <laughs> for Technology, Education, and Design. Okay. <laughs> um, there is a master TED conference in Long Beach every year, and then there are TEDxs all around on different themes um, and I or locations, really. And um, mine came about because I was teaching an LGBT leader program at Wells Fargo, which is one of our clients. So we get we have the tremendous privilege with this incredible company, by the way, for LGBT people and markets and talent to teach a three-day leadership program for their high potential LGBT leaders That's at the bank. Great. So we spend um, three days at a time with a group of 35 people. And in my room, I was on the faculty because the, the whole faculty has to be LGBT. So I, this is one program I made time directly to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And there was somebody in my room that knew the organizers at a TED 
That's incredible. In San Francisco. <laughs> yep. And, and I told, we, we were teaching storytelling as a module for leaders. And I got up and told my story. And he said, you need to tell that story at a TED. And um, the interesting thing is, I almost didn't do it because I was really intimidated by it. And they also wanted me to come out in it. Like it was important, of course, because he had seen me in this context and he said, that's the story you have to tell. And I thought, who's going to be interested? Is it not that big of a deal? Right. And my story also involves my history as an opera singer and sort of the trouble that I ran into there. And sort of, it was kind of, it was a hard part of my life. And I was like, why does anybody want to know that? It was like yeah. super personal. It's so yeah. personal. Yeah. It's really vulnerable. And, yeah. and by the way, I haven't really been really out about being an opera singer in my corporate work. Mm-hmm. So think about this is me only, you know, three years ago or so, not having really divulged because I need to be taken seriously in this corporate environment. Mm-hmm. So me kind of hiding the fact that I was a performing artist and mm-hmm. thinking about what stereotypes people would apply to me and would they take me seriously in the business world. So it was kind of worried about all of those things. And I looked on the TED websites, you know, various, and I didn't see any LGBT speakers and I didn't see LGBT topics, really. I probably found three at the time. I think there's been more now, but honestly, there's really, there's not that many. Not that many by women either. Yeah. Um, So all of that and made me just feel like, I don't know, is the world ready for me? And am I ready to put this out there? So I kind of hemmed and hawed, and I delayed calling the organizers back a little bit. I mean, amazing, right? So anyway, something in me said, you you have to trust this. And this is so important. When the universe calls you, you really need to answer. Like, there's something in that, and you need to just get over your fear and just say, you need to say yes to what life puts in your path. So something in me said, I, I got to do this. Um, it's eight minutes. You know, and I, by the way, I worked for like months on that eight minutes. Did it seem like the longest eight minutes? Oh my God. Well, no, it went so fast actually, but the prep is so arduous. Like I had 20 drafts and then I'm 44 and like memorizing things is not great for me either. So I still had to go on stage with an iPad and like follow along. But the other interesting thing was that, um, as I was dithering as we, as we do, um, you know, when I finally got there and I was talking to the organizers, I noticed there were mostly men speaking and I was one of only a handful of women because TEDs normally have about 12 speakers, right? Mm-hmm. There were like two women mm-hmm. on the docket for the day. And I said, well, how, how did that happen? Yeah. It's just curious. And they said, we invited as many men and women, but the men got back to us right away. And I thought, that was me. Yeah. That was me. And like, I talk about women's leadership and I talk about our power and I talk about stepping into the light. Mm-hmm. But I struggled with doing that, and I didn't call them back, or I was late on getting them my deliverables, whatever. And I thought, this is why we don't have more women telling our story. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we like, are afraid, and, and we're like, we hesitate behind the wall, and we're afraid, yeah. like, to be vulnerable. I'm not saying the men were all that vulnerable. I mean, the talks were about a lot of different things. I'm not sure they were as personal uh-huh. as mine was. But I just think I just thought I was like observing myself going through this process of being. Am I ready to be this bold? And am I ready for this? And, and asking ourselves all these questions that result in us playing really much smaller than we really should. So Absolutely. it was a huge yeah. eye-opener for me. And I think it translates actually into like all the corporate work I do with women and trying to like claim our voice, claim our seat at the table, like mm-hmm. be stronger, like show up, you know, boldly it, with all of ourselves, you yeah. know, and sort of the messages that we get from society about whether or not that's okay. Absolutely. I mean, we just had this conversation yesterday with having that voice and not like demanding what we deserve, but mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, compared to like men and women and actually Janine and I had the same 
experience with our podcast for people that we reached out to that we found that men were much quicker yes. and yes. willing to do it the than women, women. Like some of the women that we reached out to like had more questions like, oh, what is it yeah. about? What are we going to discuss? So, yep. I mean, it is... <laughs> It yes. is. It is what it is. Like we want um, to control the outcome. We're yeah. perfectionists. We want to make sure, you know, we've sort of crossed our T's and dotted our I's. And I think that to our detriment in the business world, because you have to be fast and you've got to be decisive and you've got to work with not a lot of facts. Sometimes you have to just jump. And I think, in my observation, it's one of the key things I've learned from men. It's like you don't have to have everything tucked and tied before you say you can do it. Like men will, this is like a, a, an analogy that's used a lot in my work. It's like men will sell themselves on their potential and women will all only say they can do something if they have past performance that proves that they've yeah. done it. Mm-hmm. And literally we're such perfectionists because we have integrity. I mean, it's a matter of integrity. Like, yes, I've done this. You can count on me. I, I'm confident hundred percent that I can do this. Men are be like, give it to me and I'll, I'll try and it's going to be great. And yeah. <laughs> you know, so I never could have built my business if I hadn't just jump, been ready to like jump off the ledge mm-hmm. and believe that the net will appear yeah. if I need it yeah. and I will figure it out. What sort of feedback did you receive from your TED talk? So you did, you ended up doing the tech talk mm-hmm. and you did come out mm-hmm. um, in the middle of it, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so terrifying. With that, with, that, with that part though, did you feel a huge like I don't know, like after, like once all the silence stopped, did you feel like this huge <laughs> sense of relief? Like, did you feel empowered? Were you still like, oh my God, I can't believe I just did this? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Cause I had been able to hide to a degree before that. I think that kind of took me into a whole different echelon of people and observers. Um, but I was happy to have the vehicle of a TED stage, I think to push me out of the nest. Yeah. And um, it did change a lot of things. It changed, I think, how I see myself as a leader in the community. It, it sort of changed how I place myself as a voice in the in the conversation. You know, mm-hmm. legitimacy-wise, it was just huge to have something like that. And I've gone on to give several more in different venues. But I realized it was critical. And I'm, I've, I've gotten used to being the first. I think a lot of us in this work are the sort of tip of the spear, like, we're the ones that have to go first and make it safe for others. And mm-hmm. so I understand my role. That's my role mm-hmm. on this earth to be brave and to have courage. And also I'm independent. Like I can afford to be as bold as I want to be because I have my own company. So yeah. I have total agency. So if I didn't, if I weren't challenging myself to be uncomfortable on a daily basis, I'm not doing my job because that's what I'm telling other people that they need to do. Yeah. So, um, no, it was, it was kind of a non-event. Like afterwards I felt fabulous about it. I think I just got more positive reinforcement. I got more people sharing it. I got a lot of praise. I got people who were, I have been using my Ted talk as a tool to teach their Mm -hmm. um, internal workplace populations. They use it as a training tool. Um, they send it around to, um, for their own personal inspiration. I think I think that is so great. Can you kind of, you know, like tell our listeners like how they use it (laughs) as a tool? They do. Um, I have a friend at a big hotel chain who uses it in his sales training. I didn't even know he was doing this. He he plays it for, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, send me a check. (laughs) But he actually uses it, um, with his largely male sales team who are pretty traditional and he is an LGBT person. And we'll talk about this a little later. Like, 
you can only you have to use your LGBTness sparingly when you're you're there to do a job that's not necessarily related to that. Like it's helpful to have somebody else telling the story that you need to tell, but yeah. to sort of triangulate it a little bit mm-hmm. to um, to protect you, frankly. So I'm one of those people that people bring in to say, well, look at her and look at her story, and maybe you won't judge as much. So he gets through halfway and he pauses it right before I come out and he says, who do you think this woman is? And they all think I'm like a married housewife in Connecticut, like whatever. (laughs) And um, then he rolls the tape and everybody gasps and it's like this great, and it's eight minutes, eight minutes in total. So it's a really quick hit. It's very like Twitter friendly, you know, it's like, because that's the way people learn these days. Um, But it's a very powerful thing because it's like, who do you, if you ever know who's sitting across the table from you? And, like, I'm a perfect example. And if somebody wants to use me in that way, it's, like, I think it's great. It's, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm happy to be a tool for change in that way. I think it's, like, a very comfortable and, and sort of the role that I'm meant to play, which is challenging the stereotypes about what does a gay woman look like? Um, can she be a business owner? Can she be sort of what I would assume is, like, a, a stereotype of femininity, you know, which is kind of the gender expression that I'm most comfortable in? Um, all of those things. Mm-hmm. So I love it. I think it's um, powerful. So with Jennifer Brown Consulting, mm-hmm. you started in 2006? Yes. Can you walk us through kind of what does your firm do? Like you go into like a big business corporation and mm-hmm. teach them inclusive behaviors. What does that really mean? Like can you like paint yeah, the picture sure. for us? <laughs> so let's see. A typical day these days, uh, we work with, a lot of big name brand companies. So you've probably heard of most of them. Like they're what I call fortune 500 companies. And, um, over 10 years, we've built our reputation to be such that if you Google some themes, like what we're talking about today with whether it's diversity and inclusion in the workplace or employee resource groups or LGBT in the workplace, our company and our thought leadership will come up in Google. So we get um, a mixture of calls from old friends of mine because I've been, working with so many people that are LGBT and corporate mm-hmm. and allies mm-hmm. that they think of me and they really want to bring us in because they believe in us and they believe that we can be that change agent like in front of them mm-hmm. because sometimes they don't have the role and the seniority or whatever it is or the mandate to really do what they know we can do. Yeah. Um, and they need help. So sometimes they'll call me and say, we have no strategy for diversity and inclusion and we're a massive multinational company. I mean, I get these calls all the time and it's incredible to me. It incredible. It's 2015. Yeah. It's incredible. And so I think it's great news. It's great. There's a need for it. You can provide that need. Yes. But on the other it's side scary, of the point, right? it's like, really? how is this not happening? I know, yeah. Yeah. I know it's crazy. Where's the void? Yeah. Where, yeah. It's a huge void. So you have to remember 90% of people work in companies where this is nowhere on anybody's radar screen. They, they don't hear a thing about diversity mentioned. They don't see it in any of their webs, their corporate website, their onboarding, their hiring processes, nothing. That's even shocking in terms of your onboarding slash hiring process. Because at least to my knowledge, I guess I've worked at diversity friendly companies, but I mean, it's, there's some legal language. Yes. Usually there's like a non-discrimination policy, but sometimes you don't have sexual orientation and gender identity like stated in your non-discrimination policy. Yeah. Like you've got other protected classes, but not, but you don't have those because they weren't and aren't federally mandated. Well, that's what, I mean, I'm going to jump I don't know, ships right now, but... <laughs> um, go for it. 
I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about, you know, like with the whole marriage equality now, but there's still what, like over 28 states that you can still be fired because of mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. sexuality mm-hmm. or gender. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't even understand that. Like that's a whole, <laughs> I mean, that could be a whole other podcast, but yes. I don't know. I mean, does that impact anything that you have to what? Yeah, Yeah, when our consulting doesn't, thank goodness, kind of tackle all the legal and uh, aspects of all of this, Mm -hmm. we typically are brought in to, thankfully, build on sort of the positivity and the potential of diverse communities in the workplace and um, inspire them, equip them with tools, educate senior leadership around how to get the most out of your talent. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it will get into the more technical um, interstices of marriage equality across states, um, what the company is, um, the stated commitment to diversity, which is, by the way, separate from whatever the government, state, or or federal might be saying. So a lot of companies I work with are going ahead of the requirements and basically saying this is important to us as a way to differentiate our business Mm -hmm. and to um, attract the best talent, to keep them here because we have to make sure the culture is one of inclusion in order for people to stay. Mm Um, and this is not only true for LGBT talent, it's true for all diverse talent, anyone yeah. that's underrepresented. Yeah. So I think that we, of course, anything that makes life easier for your talent to stay with you, um, whether that is your commitment to marriage equality. I mean, did you take a stand in the amicus brief for the Supreme Court ruling? You know, 200 companies signed that brief. And all the LGBT and ally employees noticed that. I mean, that was very, very important to see that my company supports me um, in terms of my own rights with my partner and my life. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so I think all of that is is the LGBT community super informed, as, all, as are a lot of diverse communities, about does the company walk the talk? Yeah. Yeah. So are they marketing to me and trying to sell their goods and services to me as a consumer? What are they doing internally if I were working for them? And people talk and they're very informed. And so the good news about... Um, The world we live in now is the transparency and the lack of the wall around the company that the company can hide behind, frankly, to make sure that not only do we have the right policies and protections in place, but working there is a really good experience for everyone. And I think the difference between those two things is where JVC really, we do our best work, is when there's sort of a disconnect. Well, when there's no policies at all, we do great work in terms of, okay, here's the benchmark. Here's what you need to institute Mm -hmm. at the top of the house. But then how's your culture? Mm-hmm. And does your culture match? If you have progressive policies, it doesn't mean that your culture is one of, of comfort mm-hmm. where people feel like they can bring their full selves to work. Mm-hmm. So we kind of dig under that. We do focus groups. We collect data. We feed it back to the powers that be and, and sort of add the business case to it, add some competitive data to it. And um, it's wonderful to see executives kind of have aha moments around, oh, gee, we need to really take this seriously. It's, it matters to our employees and they're often wrong about what the experience is really like on the ground. Yeah. I mean, not the day to day. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I can fully speak to that. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, like you said, like there are these aha moments, but are there oftentimes not? Just because, <laughs> you know, like I feel like a lot of people are kind of like wrapped up into their, their ways and sometimes they don't even realize that they're singling out like a certain demographic. Mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, that also then reflects to what you're saying, like, Yes, the higher-ups that you're doing these focus groups with, 
is it in sync with this day-to-day on the floor with their employees? Yes. Yeah, and how do they... You're so senior that you really don't know mm-hmm. what the experience is like. And you might be a very... You might consider yourself a really progressive person, very liberal, and you might assume your company is really liberal. Mm-hmm. Like, if you work for a really progressive company, you're like, well, we don't have those problems. And, well, I've never experienced those problems, but it's easy for, for example, a white straight man to yeah. say that. To say that. Someone yeah, that's falling it's... into those buckets. <laughs> exactly. So, what we do, um, but with the sort of neutrality of a third party, of course, is, and the authority of a third party, because, you know, we can say, I work with 40 companies on this, and I know. I mean, basically, there's a pattern that emerges even in progressive companies. Around, if you talk to women, people of color, LGBT people, you will hear a very different story. Mm-hmm. And I think those stories need to be told um, to the senior level who have the power to change it to a certain degree because yeah. just of their positional power. Yeah. If they make it a priority, everyone's going to pay attention. Yeah. So we sort of feed, we grab the feedback from, the, I guess, the bottom of the organization and feed it back to the top. Okay. And then we get their buy-in, and then they say, okay, I get it now. I didn't know. Now that I know, it's like you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, once yeah. you have one of these meetings, like, okay, so now you've been told, yeah. do you feel a responsibility to do something about it? And, like, that's where it gets, you know, sometimes they, they think, well, um, I don't know, they're resistant. They're having an emotional reaction to diversity because a lot of people feel threatened that this is somehow an us versus them uh-huh. dynamic. Uh-huh. Um, and it also feels like the other pushback I get is, well, I want to hire the best person for the job. Are you telling me that I have to hire the diverse person and lower my standards? You know, that's like a common, yeah, so yeah. common, yeah. trust me. And my answer is all things being equal because, you know, there's a lot of qualified talent I was going to say, I'm sure. Yes, you hire yes. the diverse person. Yes, yeah. you hire the woman. Yes, you hire the person of color. Because by the way, you're 15 white guys. Like if I look at this company and I'm like, Considering whether to come work for you. And I look at the leadership team and I look at the board and I see one woman and I see no people of color. And I talk to my friends or I read like, what is it? The glass door, whatever. the Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm like putting the pieces together and I say, I don't think I want to work at this company because I can't be myself. Yeah. And there's a lot of people thinking that. And those are some of your great talent that you want to want to come and stay. Yeah. So, you know, I've got to get really creative sometimes and like... Managing all those dynamics of pushback and resistance and fear and get people on board. It's, it's, do you think they really just don't get it? Or do you think they're <laughs> yeah. ignorant? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I know. They, Where's the it's, it's like, it's, no, but it's like No, but it's like a fine line, right? Like, I feel like, I don't know, like maybe they really don't understand that. And that's why you're doing what you do, right? Yeah. But maybe because we're on the other side of it, right? Yeah. And I'm seeing all this and I'm like, oh yeah, that makes absolute sense. Of course, it's that intuitive. it's shocking that like, well, why aren't all these big companies doing this? Like, which yeah. is my little yeah. two cents. I, I, I just think you've got, I know for me, you've got to hear it over and over again to start to believe it. Like, you know, my partner's Filipina, American, first generation. And for her to say to me over and over again, yeah, when I was growing up, People would say, oh, your English is really good. Where are you from? She's American. Yeah. And she was born here. She's an American, right? And yeah. she just over and over and over that happening. Our African-American friends who still tell me that cows will not pick them up in New York City. Like over and So you, like as a person who doesn't share that experience, you have to hear that. And then you've got to choose to believe it. You don't want to, like, what's the point in arguing about it? Yeah. yeah. It's like what we're seeing in Missouri. If those students feel this way, it's real. 
Like, let's just take it seriously because it is happening to them. Like, yeah. to me, that's enough proof. Yeah. But the pushback I get from executives is like, it's the denial. It's like, well, it's been easy. They don't understand their privilege. They do not understand the ease in which they work, walk around the world and the things that they have access to with no trouble at all. They never had to experience They have no idea. So, and you can do unconscious bias classes for days. I mean, that's often what we're sort of asked to do. And, um, that's great. So people are recognizing, including me, like I have biases too, you know, in the, in the family I was raised in and they still creep up. So we all have them. But the question might be like, how, how curious are you about your biases how much are you willing to, to challenge them mm-hmm. and see them in your day-to-day? And how open are you to ex- considering that somebody else may be having a different experience than you are? Absolutely. And that's fundamentally, that's it. If you don't want to see that and you live in this world in 2015, you must not be, like, watching the news. And I mean, you'd have to be, like, living under a rock <laughs> not to understand that people are yeah. having a really different experience yeah. in the same world. <laughs> well, that's what, I mean, like, how, you know, like, you're... A lot of aspects of your job must be challenging because exactly like how do you teach a grown adult how to be curious and respectful mm-hmm. to like you're unteaching yes a behavior with all this labeling and the stigmas and yeah. obviously yes it makes us better leaders but mm-hmm. how do you want to teach somebody that yeah like yeah. I don't know like it's hard well I think they feel a pressure I hope to be to change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that they, they probably many leaders, if you're at all self-aware realize that I love this saying, what got you here won't get you there. Like if you've got another 10 years in you or 15 years in you, the world, the way you lead has to change. I mean, your markets are diversifying. You need to have a diverse talent in your organization in order to sell to a diverse market. I mean, a lot of my clients come to me and say, gee, we're starting to get a lot of pressure in sales situations mm-hmm. like we send four white guys out to sell to do a pitch meeting and they show up and it's four women one of whom is a person of color and one is lgbt and we didn't get the gig because we didn't we didn't have a diverse team to even put in front of our prospect and this is big companies yeah. these are like huge law firms big professional services firms who are pitching billion dollar deals and they get they don't get the work so Anybody who's paying attention to this, this story is starting to circulate and the awareness around G, like even who we send to a meeting matters. Mm -hmm. And then, by the way, in the procurement process, a lot of buyers, institutional buyers, whatever, business to business are evaluating more and more. They're saying, what are you doing for diversity on the inside? We're not going to give you these dollars and we're not going to choose your account. We're not going to become your account if we don't sink a mutual commitment to diversity, whether that's your representation, we want to see your numbers, we want to know, do you have your G's? Are you committed to DNI? How do you how do we know? How can you show us? Yeah. So there's this great pressure that's happening all in the sort of business ecosystem yeah. between customers and sellers. Mm-hmm. And I love that because that helps me go in and talk to executives. If I have that if I'm armed with that, I can say, How many deals have you one or more likely lost because you didn't show a diverse um, face to the workplace, to, yeah. to the marketplace. Yeah. And that means you've got to start to look at, honestly, like how many women and people of color, are you like grabbing warm bodies like for a sales meeting? Because honestly, they do that now. Oh yeah, they'll grab the person of color, they'll grab the LGBT person, they'll make sure there's a woman on the team. But like, to me, that is like, <laughs> I mean, you're, it may not be the right person, you know, and yeah, that person probably doesn't appreciate being yeah. a token 
you like know. they're being used basically yeah. for that pitch. So it yeah. feels good and bad at the same time, I think, for that individual. So um, I think there's that that business case. Um, I think when they look at their employee resource groups, which are mm-hmm. diversity networks, right? There are LGBT networks. There's networks for race and ethnicity. There's even generational networks now. And fitness one. We have a fitness. We have a fitness one. Yeah, great. great. Wellness. Yes. There's parenting networks. There's mm-hmm. cancer survivors. There's um, disabilities, veterans. If there are thousands of employees in many large companies that are a part of these, I think also as a senior executive, you're like, hmm, there must be something that's needed. There's needed support that they're uh, craving from each other. Mm-hmm. There's a business opportunity in terms of what they represent. They can recruit their friends into the company and vouch for us. They can inform our products and services for sales mm-hmm. to their communities. Um, and we want to do all that right. So let's talk to our employees about what does that really look like. Yeah. Like we don't need to go and like pay a huge consulting firm for all the data. It's like we can we can run our ads by our ad campaign for African American customers base by our African American group. Mm-hmm. Does this resonate? Do you like the images? Does it feel authentic? You know what else are we missing? Yeah. And there's been many many examples of companies that haven't done that well, and then it's like hugely embarrassing and harmful to the bottom line and you know sadly I think makes them kind of retreat from yeah. the market because they didn't approach it because they were a bunch of non-diverse people making the decisions about how to approach the market Absolutely. so I mean there's just so many there's so many tie-ins you can make like if they gave me like five hours I could just be like, <laughs> say here's 15 reasons that like, you need to do this but and That's yeah the next TED talk yeah <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> so before we started recording you were saying how at certain companies, right? Like, since you can pass as quote-unquote straight, um, that you... Like, when do you find that it's relevant for you to come out versus not come out? And do you feel like any of that holds you back? Mm, Yeah. Well, it always depends on my audience. I can feel right away, and I know know who's going to find my LGBT-ness incredibly empowering, and then who's going to find it like confusing and shocking maybe in a good way maybe not in a good way yeah where they're then like distracted from whatever exactly they may be distracted um yeah when i work when i walk into a group of executive men you know and sometimes it might be a group of global men as well so not all american men Mm -hmm. um which adds another layer of complexity and assumptions and damaging stereotypes yeah um let alone that i'm even a woman Mm-hmm. You know, and then I come out, they don't even know what LGBT means. Mm-hmm. So I think it can be a road I may or may not want to go down, and I may not have time to go down. I mean, honestly, when I work with executives, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you have 45 minutes after the CEO speaks and before they break for this and blah, 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 blah. So I have to, like, really be careful. Yeah. And I think also um, I don't want to be pigeonholed as the angry lesbian. Like, <laughs> it's definitely not what I want to have happen, and I have to really... I have to really, I'm such an activist in my heart, but I have learned how to be a very professional, formal consultant. Yeah. Like, I have to be very mindful of my credibility and where my credibility comes from and just be, um, choose my words and what I share on the personal front versus my expertise. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Yeah. You have two things to draw from as mm-hmm. a change agent. You have what you know and you have who you are, mm-hmm. right? I'd like to move in the future I'd like to move to a place of teaching and facilitating from who I am Mm -hmm. 
but like supported by what I know. And I had to spend the last 10 years kind of shoring up all the arguments, right? All the intellectual arguments, all the research, all the big names I can throw around, like whatever, whatever, so that I'm sort of more a vehicle for the information delivery, yeah. right? But I think my TED Talk kind of showed me, interestingly, that I personally, like who I am, is as much a teaching tool mm-hmm. as what I know. Mm-hmm. And that's been a really interesting... But I think you need... The price of entry, though, is being the expert. Like, into yeah. the into the circles that I am in, yeah. I need to walk into that room mm-hmm. and have them listen to me right away. If I came in and told my coming out story right away, I would lose them. Yeah. Like, I have to speak their language. Personally yeah. driven. But I feel like... You walk walk the talk. Like I mean, I think your personal life is a supplement to also like what you do, and it is a large part of that. I feel like one of the things that makes you so inspiring is that it is kind of like a com- combination of what you're doing and kind of like how your personal life brought you to like where mm-hmm. you are today, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is really great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is that advocacy and like that voice you have inside of you that wants to bring this to other people and help them. Yeah. I think my um, motives are really clear. Yeah. You know, I think I'm not just a consultant. Like, you'd be crazy to become a diversity consultant if it weren't. <laughs> like, who, who would choose to have this kind of business to try to sell this kind of work? Because it's hard. Like, in the recession, um, mm-hmm. a lot of people really suffered in my field because it's viewed as discretionary spend in many companies. Like, it's one of those things that mm-hmm. goes away yeah. um, when times are tough. And some of us made it through and some of us didn't. You know, and um, so it's a, it's a very risky field. And then add to it the sort of personal investment that you feel when you're doing mission-driven work and you're sort of trying to change corporate America, which, like, is, like, this huge and messy That's a big task. mission. Yeah, it's I like... Mean, a, you mean, like, a superhero outfit. You kind of do. We, we joke that I have a cape yeah. and, and a oh, broom. And, yeah, we do actually <laughs> joke about that. Are you a, you're like a I might be. I'm not sure. <laughs> I feel like a really old soul that's been through a lot of, I don't know, like burning at the stake. I don't know. <laughs> but like, I'm really like, we have to be really resilient. We have to be, we have to have this like deep passion and it can get really, um, demoralizing or motivating to yeah. push back on all the time. Like to, to sort of sense the fear because like I work with people on the inside that are like trying so hard to get the attention of their senior leadership and to get their organization to care and to Mm -hmm. deal with like homophobic emails that they get when they launch the LGBT group. And this is still happening. I mean, they get like long emails about how I feel, well, if they can bring their full selves to work, I should be able to bring my beliefs into the workplace and my beliefs don't Uh, jive with their beliefs. And how are you allowing me to have an authentic voice, freedom of speech, blah, 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 blah. Right. So every day, you're dealing with all these things, plus pushback from just even your leaders, even yeah. your own leaders, and feeling that you then also, like a lot of my clients lead diversity, but they're diverse people as well, similar to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. So you as an individual are having an experience, and you're responsible for leading change in your organization. Mm-hmm. So you as an African-American woman say, you're not having the greatest experience, you know, and yet you have to work to create the, a better workplace for everyone too. So well, I like, feel that way all the time. It's tricky. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so what, what kind of advice can you, um, you know, kind of like give our listeners when you are getting that negative feedback, um, mm-hmm. from companies that you're working for or from whoever that's giving you this yeah. like pushback, how do you change that into motivation or like, 
and kind of like shift your mindset? Like how do you make that negative into a positive? Like yeah. what do you personally do? Yeah, I think, you know, even if you're really young and you're just starting out in your career and even if you're like an ally for inclusion. So mm-hmm. I want this to be true for not just diverse people or it's really anyone that either has been marginalized or a part of a minority group and M with a small M, like I mean anyone that's not represented equally in your workplace or family, whatever, or it can be an ally for those people. So it's always having the individual conversations and when you hear something, say something. But I think if you're in any kind of institution or organization, you have the opportunity to have kind of a higher level conversation and bring bring the business case to your leaders, mm-hmm. you know, who have the authority and probably want to learn and just haven't been kind of shown the reality um, that you live, that others live, um, their assumptions around, well, if I feel comfortable here, everybody feels comfortable. Yeah. And there's no leader of course. Of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I know. It's surprising. But, yeah. I mean, um, you know, so I think if you can witness to that and testify to that, but in a way that's constructive, and yeah. I think you have to balance the angry fill-in-the-blank mm-hmm. You have to be professional, and I think you need to be armed with data. So, And there's tons out there. There's mm-hmm. so much. If you Google the business case for inclusion and you know LGBT buying powers, like $800 billion, there's, there, there's so much you can kind of share and teach. And I think it's incumbent on all of us to teach others, mm-hmm. and people will respond better to that than, I think, the sort of visceral emotional reaction that you might be having. Um, channel that energy into thinking more strategically about, you know, how can I create change here? You know, who has the power? Yeah. Who needs to be influenced? How can I reach them? Mm-hmm. Um, how can I have a non-threatening conversation with them where it's more about learning and knowledge and creating a curiosity in others where then they will do the, their own work. Yeah, like they will start to, like, notice things around them. And, you know, we call this in corporate America, reverse mentoring. I love the idea of young Mm -hmm. people kind of offering to share their experience with more senior people to speak from in the first person to say, you know, I want, you know, I want to, we can learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, that's a millennial stereotype. I think it's like, no, I think it's great. That's what we we call it. We call it managing up. Managing up. It is because it is, it's both ways. Like, I always ask for feedback from people on my team as well because I mean to have that like open relationship and especially you know working environment because like Mm -hmm. the days are so crazy and I mean it includes like everyone yeah I feel like where like I come from I try to be inclusive and like and ask like these very open-ended questions that I could get a response that I have no idea like and it it happens which is great yeah I'm like okay Mm -hmm. no idea that was gonna but it's actually a better solution yeah yeah do you feel similar about someone coming out in the workplace? Would you offer that same type of advice or would it be a little bit different? Yeah, it depends. I mean, we I think you should do your homework on your employer or your prospective employer, understand where they are in the corporate equality index, understand, um, you know, talk to people to the extent you can about the culture and the workplace environment. But also, I wouldn't be deterred by joining a company that doesn't seem to have diversity on its radar screen and isn't on any of the lists because you can be a change agent from wherever you sit, you know, and it's, we all know and agree here that it's needed. It's needed. Mm -hmm. There are many people maybe like you that are closeted 
about even being an ally. I mean, it's not even about being LGBT. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody may really believe that in their personal life and be very involved. And yet when they come to work, Completely. they're covering it. You yeah. know, I've, I've, I've had sessions with all white male executive teams and one man will say, I cover my progressiveness. My, I'm politically progressive and liberal and I don't talk about you know, I don't talk about my thoughts on the election or politics or anything in the context. And this is a bunch of white guys. So, you know, there's people covering aspects of who they are throughout your organization. And I think you, all of us, I hope, feel called to leave the world a better place than we found it. And if you have courage in you and you, um, I, I, I promise you, learning how to be a change agent will teach you valuable influencing skills that are important wherever you sit and whatever job you end up being in. You don't have to be in the diversity office. Although I'll tell you, if you really love this, you'll end up like calling me and saying, how did you get into your, the work you do? <laughs> I have a lot of, like all my clients are like, can I come and work for you? Because um, they want to do it all the time and all day long, yeah. you know, and, and why, you know, why wouldn't you? Um, you know, it's intense work, but it's super rewarding. Yeah. So, but I think, um, so don't be deterred. I think your company needs you your colleagues need you you have no idea um chances are i can tell you that there are people who really feel disengaged because mm-hmm. they can't bring their full selves to work and yeah. whatever that means for them in every workplace i have never seen even the really progressive ones mm-hmm. the stories i hear they're still closeted people in some of the most gay friendly companies that i work with that are out there on a limb winning every single award i mean the company is like Distinguished, they're investing millions of dollars in, in the market, you know, selling to gay people, and they're closeted people that work there. I mean, I think so. it's also like that fine line between like your personal life and your work life. Like it yeah. has to be separate, and you can't like, I don't know. It's I like know. even in terms of like work work ethic and personality. Like I feel mm-hmm. like I'm very similar both in my work life and my personal life. Which I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, so far, it's been working out good for me, but. We're seeing millennials are demanding more um, synthesis between the two Uh and that companies are, you're not dreaming. I mean, companies are more comfortable viewing you, I think, as you're a worker, an employee, and not the whole person and sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, expecting you to leave all that at the door on Monday. And I think that's changing with the expectations of the younger generation, thankfully. Yeah. Um, And the generation millennials have the size, the sheer volume um, that are coming into the workplace, they're going to dominate. Actually, going to be more than fifty percent of the workplace by twenty twenty. And I'm very terrified of that. I know some of us are a little terrified. Actually, good about it. I'm excited for it because I feel I feel like that's one thing about millennials is that they are so open, and even just with like the LGBT community growing in the future, I feel there is more talk about. Like gender fluidity, and I think the youth, I think they get it. Like they don't care. Right? They're like, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get over where's it. Where's my music? Like, <laughs> where's, my, where's my SoundCloud? Like, okay, cool. Whatever. I'm, I'm gonna grab a bagel. Or, yeah. You know, like, yeah, it yeah. Just, I'm gonna work from home today. I think yeah. they're, they're just like unfazed by it, which I think is really cool. Um, well, it could be really powerful in the same way. Yeah. You know, maybe. like to them, it's sort of like it's fine. It's okay. Like there's not all this thinking about. Like putting labels paranoia. on people, exactly. Yeah. Like, so maybe yeah. there's one pro on the millennials. I'll, I'll let you know in 2020. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny. We've been thinking ERGs may really fundamentally change because if you think about, they used to be around race and gender and sexual orientation 
which were sort of single identity groups, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And millennials also are sort of plural, right? So they might be queer. You know, they might not be comfortable with LGBT. They might be multi-ethnic. You know, they might um, be Hispanic, but they identify, you know, they want to be in the women's network um, because that's, I don't know, or they may not want to be associated with any of the networks. Yeah. So I think there's more of an integration mm-hmm. that, than ever before in this, in this generation. And um, so it's kind of got a lot of us wondering, like, are the groups going to be relevant in the future? Or, I mean, there's already, in some of my clients, there's 80% allies in the LGBT group. Like 80% of oh, the okay. membership. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So as we invite more allies in, men for women, white people for people of color, as that starts to go, and we're still a long ways away, trust yeah. me. Um, but as that goes, do the groups still have a lot of relevance? You know, as we get more integrated, is there the need? I think there will always be a need because, yes, understanding like what you say, like there is more gray area. But I think it's also, even with millennials, they love the sense of community and they want to work one-on-one. They yes. want to work in these groups, which is awesome. Awesome. Um, and like brainstorming and then like picking each other's brains. So I think... Yes, the ERGs will always be relevant, but I think it's kind of like it will evolve into more this gray matter that it's like, I'm here because I'm interested in this. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll attend, like, a Latino ERG just because, you know, I want to learn more. Yes. And I think it will be more open to that. At least I hope. I hope so. If I'm painting, like, that's what it will be. (laughs) Yeah. As we move, you know, the Maslow hierarchy, as we move beyond the safety needs, Mm -hmm. which was traditionally the needs for so many communities that were underrepresented at work. I mean, 10 or 15 years ago and still today, even people of color, like, worry about gathering, you know, and sort of the the chatter that it might cause Mm -hmm. if they're not sort of officially mandated or um, funded and supported by the company yeah. they sort of have to meet in secret like there's just crazy stuff that's still going on there's still LGBT people who have like off the record meetings you know because they don't feel sanctioned mm-hmm. by the company so as soon as we can get past this level of sort of safety like am I literally safe to be myself here then we can start to move into like belonging community and ideally the top of the pyramid which is self-actualization mm-hmm. Okay, now my safety needs are met. Now I can focus on how can I do my best work. What's my potential? What's my, yeah, I can focus on Full that, which is really where I want to get everything to, to sort of push towards. Um, but the, that safety factor is still mm-hmm. big when you consider the statistics show that half of LGBT people are still closeted in today's workplace. Mm-hmm. I, I <laughs> Thank you for sharing. No, but I mean, it is. I feel like I have separated my work and personal life enough I mean I would like to share it in my workplace but I also find that my workplace the time to build personal relationships necessarily isn't Mm -hmm. there like I don't get a lunch break usually if I do it's oh my god Mm -hmm. I I get to actually like I'm not eating in a meeting or I'm not eating I'm seriously sometimes I'm walking and eating my salad yes yes. um which is fine but yes I would like to be able to share more um I think it also has to just deal with like my coming out story and mm-hmm. I haven't been out for a long time so it's also my like personal journey mm-hmm. as well which I mean is fine that's why there's not like a whole lot of pressure in it but it is it is challenging especially 
when it's like, what did you do this weekend? Oh, you know, like, <laughs> what pronouns do I use? Or is it like my friends or a friend or they or, you know, and it's like consciously saying that, which is like, mm-hmm. it sucks. It's, it's stupid, but like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, that's where I am right now. Yeah. So it's, it's totally fine. It takes a toll to, I think, have to put all of that energy towards making up a narrative that's not going to make people feel uncomfortable. Like, and that's, to me, the thing I always say is, whether you recognize it or not, because you can probably keep all the balls in the air, but it does deplete your energy and your focus from finding your potential. If you're managing, like, oh my God, am I safe to say this or not? It's sort of, to me, it always feels like I'm having these two parallel conversations. (laughs) Like I have my technical knowledge and what I'm trying to make happen and my job. And then I'm having this other conversation around, am I safe and are they going to judge me? And like, if you realize that we are carrying this around and other people are not, yeah, like that's not fair. That's not fair because then we're sort of, we're doing double duty. I mean, anybody who is diverse, the woman, the only woman in the room is not only, okay, how do I show up as an awesome professional that I am? But, oh my God, I'm the only woman in the room. Like who's judging me? Who's stealing my ideas? Who's stepping all over me? They're, you know, judging me. You know, where are the other women? Like, I don't, you know, I, I, I bet. Like, say, exactly. Say you're the only woman and work with all men. And it's like, what did you do <laughs> this weekend? And the guy, okay, I'm just going to be stereotypical. Yeah. Whatever. Sure. <laughs> um, and the guys are like, oh, I watched the game on the Yeah, yeah. Sports and then, you know, like... <laughs> I would say, what did you do all weekend? Oh, I spent all day cooking on Sunday. It was fabulous. You know, it's like, I don't want to be judged for because I want to, like, cook all day or, like, do whatever or, like, go shopping or, you know, like, just little things like that. It's like, I don't know. I'm sure that happens all the time, too. And the link is, the important thing to remember is that the men, meanwhile, are sharing a lot of stuff with each other and bonding, and that enables business. So don't forget, Mm -hmm. like, deals are being made relationships are being deepened and when you do not feel that you can bring all of that it's assumed that well a you're hiding something so -hmm. it can actually be turned around like to a negative yeah like oh I don't feel like I know her she's really distant I don't really know much about and then they sort of translate that to mean you're sort of evasive and you're not really yeah Yeah. like it's amazing how it can turn around against you like Mm -hmm. it's incredible and yet the penalty for bringing all that and kind of dumping it out in the middle of the table. Can also do the same thing. Yeah. So you're sort of stuck. And if That's you're, if you're a female, like you're a lesbian of color, imagine oh that you're yeah. having four conversations yeah. at once in your head and trying to decide how, how do I show up right now at this table in an authentic way and like wow everybody and be as fabulous as I know I am and like realize that they're either comfortable with me as a stereotype or not and they're not even listening to me they're like looking at me and trying to suss me out (laughs) and they don't want to invite me into the club I that's another level of discomfort Mm -hmm. around you know if the boys want to be boys and there's things that they do together um you know what is the role of anyone who's not a guy's guy yeah any kind of non-conforming man as well by the way yeah you know, how do you fit when you don't like sports? Like, how? what if you have a, a same-sex partner? What if you don't like, you know, I think this is bigger than, like, just race and ethnicity and sexual orientation. It's really, like, challenging, I think, um, I don't know, that sort of old-school way of the inside group and the outside group, and whatever, however we have defined that yeah. in business. And I, if you can bring a voice for change to that, I think that's the work that needs to be done. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to and especially being a leader and you know like if you see these conversations happening like 
include somebody else like oh what did you do this weekend mm-hmm. or you know like yeah. just being really mindful of those conversations or you know like when we have company parties like I try to talk to somebody I want to talk to or somebody that's like not on my team because we have a huge team like mm-hmm. over 60 people mm-hmm. and a lot of those people I don't interact with on a daily so it's learning something new about someone or even going to like meetups and like you see that person standing by themselves and like oh hi what do you do like it's just um it's a skill it's that it is it's that curiosity it's the respectfulness yes getting to know somebody in this judgment-free zone and like unteaching those biases yes which i mean yeah time i'm so (laughs) glad you're here to do it because I can't even imagine where to begin. I know. Um, and if you're a hiring manager or you're on a team, I would give the advice, notice notice the makeup of who you're interviewing or who's being interviewed for a role. You know, mm-hmm. what I say to managers, anybody who has any influence, but you can drive influence from the bottom, ask the question, are we in, in, interviewing all men for mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. Are there any people of color on the what we call the slate? So the slate is how we refer to the people who are being interviewed for something. Mm-hmm. And diverse slates is the big boogeyman of, of like the whole Silicon Valley conversation right now where it's like, well, we can't find any candidates that aren't this demographic, you know. And so as a leader, any kind of leader who has any kind of authority, you need to push back on your recruiters or you need to say, you know, I demand that we have a more diverse slate. So that, that's something you can do. Just notice and bring up the lack of representation when you see it, mm-hmm. not in an angry way, mm-hmm. but in a constructive way to say, gee, I wonder if this is the kind of, you know, don't we need more diverse voices so that we can be more effective? We can have diversity of thought on our team and not have that homogeneous groupthink that mm-hmm. homogeneous groups tend to have. Like, that's not good for business, by the way. Like, that's been shown that that can lead to dangerous blind spots in terms of, like, missed opportunities, not as great of a solution. There's a lot of research around diversity and how it informs innovation. Yeah. Speaking of inclusivity, I kind of want to, like, pick your brain, like, you know, with your personal story and, you know, like, your coming out story and how is that? And did you get a re- good response to it? And, like... Were people inclusive to you, to me, personally? Yeah, that's a great question. I came out when I was 22 in college. Um, parents were okay about it. Um, this was 24 years ago, so, I mean, we had no... Nobody had, had any clue. Um, and my dad, I was a, an aspiring opera singer at the time, and, and he said some really sad things to me, like, you'll never... You'll never, you know, work. You'll never have a successful career. You'll never have a family. I'm just sad for you. You know, and he, as a 78-year-old, had seen... Think about what he'd seen yeah. about our people. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was hugely hurtful, of course, um, to hear that when you're young and impressionable and thinking, well, maybe he's right and whatever. Like it wasn't hard enough for you to say that to be Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sort of rubbed salt in the wound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, then I, and then as I advanced... Through um, came out of my early twenties and then went into the world of opera. There were no out opera singers or out performers that I knew of. Um, some gay men, you know, of course, that the world will be um, have more gay men than the usual, but um, certainly no lesbians and nobody like on the edge of the stage at the Met or whatever um, mm-hmm. or in Broadway. And I don't even know what it what it stands like now. I'm sure there's more, but it's mm-hmm. still a big secret. I'm sure. So, and I was. Um, 
often cast to play an ingenue, so it's certainly not the it's the little sister role. It's okay. the yeah. you know it's the young love interest. Uh, so that was kind of funky too. I think that was my dad's point around like, will you will you be able to play those parts credibly? Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I think we still see discussions in the media oh, around like, is. oh, it's a gay actor playing straight. He's not I, really convi- like what you know. Or no, <laughs> my like, really? biggest my biggest catch up <laughs> is when a straight actor will play somebody gay. Everyone goes crazy like, oh my god, I know. didn't he do such a good job? But then a gay actor or actress cannot play a straight role. Exactly. It's questioned whether they're believable. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, I what know. is that? I know. I can't, I can't even do it. Like, I know. I know. As we're all, like, shaking our heads. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so then when I left opera and went into corporate, um, I was I, I had to come out. I was in an insurance company. It was my first kind of corporate job doing learning and development. And I just, you know, one day I was, like, sick of changing the pronouns. And I just, like, grabbed a picture of my partner who I've been with for 18 years, Michelle. And I just, like, marched into my boss's office. And I'm like, I'm like I wanted you to see a picture of my partner. And, like, that was the easiest way for yeah. me to come out. And yeah. he's, like, thunderstruck. But he was like, <laughs> okay. Oh, that's very nice. I'd love to meet her. So sort of, like, didn't skip a beat. And mm-hmm. I, I had to rip the Band-Aid off. I was yeah. one of those people that was like, I just got to do it all at once. Yeah. Um, but I still wasn't, I wasn't out and proud. Like I was not, you know, rallying the ERG or anything. Um, I think what gave me a ton of courage, I got involved, I've always been involved with like boards and councils and sort of the equality movement. Um, and so in New York, I was involved with something called Out and Equal, which is um, a huge nonprofit advocacy organization for LGBT workplace equality. So through leadership positions on the side, that I was involved in for a long time. I got to know all of the corporate LGBT people that were um, rallying for change, whether it was Merrill Lynch or IBM. I met Deloitte, like all these companies. And I realized, I was like, oh my God, you know, again, who I am could be dovetailed with what I know how to do and I could be kind of exponentially powerful. Like there's a business case for me mm-hmm. and what I know how to do. And I'm, I'm seeing sort of evidence in the form of these people who have these roles on the inside that this is important to companies. So I sort of started to put it all together. And um, I, I was speaking at a lot of events. Um, I think I would recommend like always go where your people are. You know, there's no sense in suffering alone. You know, dig into your savings and go to a conference of people that you really feel like you resonate with and belong with. And I mean, get your strength, like plug your battery in, you yeah. know, realize that most of us, it's, it's bigger than we realize. Like there is a huge community around all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to the out and equal conference and I've been going for 12 years and it's grown from 250 people in the audience to 3000 people. Wow. That's and cool. I have been presenting there for 12 years. So anytime I have felt that, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, you know, banging my head against the wall or this is not going to work or there's not a business case. What am I doing? I go to that and I'm like, this is huge. This is so much bigger than me. There's such a need. All these companies are here. They care about it. They're sending people, they're making the investment. So I, I just kind of put these pieces together and instead of, I I had started my company as really a a general kind of leadership development, nothing Mm -hmm. to do with diversity Mm -hmm. because that was kind of my, my master's degree, like the training that I got, but how I've led it, I've, I've allowed it to become really organic and authentic for me is it's taken on this flavor of, um, 
being DNI sort of strategy partners now for companies because I know now I know all these people on the inside and they tell me what they're doing or not doing. They tell me what's going well. Like I've got a lot of um, knowledge now and champions, frankly, on the inside. So I'm a big fan of find your people, know them, know who you can call for support. Um, you know, if you're in a sales role like I am, you know, that's that's go where your people are that you're trying to market to. Yeah. You know, and um, even if you just need to get a shot in the arm and feel like you're not alone, mm-hmm. you have to realize there's tons of good stuff going on. We're also certified as woman-owned and LGBT-owned, mm-hmm. so I'm really involved in the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce. That's mm-hmm. a really neat organization out of D.C. There's almost a 1,000 certified businesses. And... Even if it doesn't ever help you close a dollar of revenue, it's so much bigger than that. It's mm-hmm. just being a community of gay-owned mm-hmm. businesses. Of it. yeah. It's incredible. In every single field, you can't imagine, like waste management and security services yeah. and um, manufacturing and office equipment. And then, of course, my field of services businesses like marketing and consulting and PR and events. But it's just really neat to see that. And then all the companies like show up in droves yeah. and like write really big checks to this organization. We just had a fancy dinner on Friday. And for me, it's really neat because all the companies want to meet us. Like they want, they actually want to help you do business with their company. That's great. Because the company has set goals to say, not only are we going to spend X amount with women owned and minority owned, but it's also going to include LGBT. And by the way, it's going to include disabilities and veterans That's great. in the future too. So Companies are starting to realize, like, ooh, where I buy my toilet paper from mm-hmm. really matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really matters, and it's a part of our diver- our commitment to diversity. Mm-hmm. And it has an economic value, like a real economic value, too. So it's not just a, a feel-good thing. Which I think is one of the great things, too, I mean, along with um, the hope for millennials. I feel like there's more of a consciousness, just, I would say, even, like, worldwide where people are really interested in, like, where their product's coming from. I mean, it even goes to, like, organics or, yes. you know, like, what is this company support? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is that whole story and lifestyle that people want to research in a brand just because everything is more information accessible now yeah. with the internet that you yeah. can look it up and you can see, oh, well, I don't want to buy exactly this sort of toilet paper because they do this and this to the environment or they get rid of their Mm -hmm. excess materials this way and I don't believe in that exactly so I think that's great it is great yeah it's great yeah sustainability is very it's like a twin of diversity Mm -hmm. I feel like that's another ERG too it is yeah green or sustainability (laughs) yes totally yeah and I think that's the other thing as as we move beyond race and gender for ERGs we're going to see more of these interest-based groups being started Mm -hmm. that will be diverse probably just by you know who shows up yeah um, and I, I think that's really exciting. I think we need all of those conversations. And I think millennials can hold companies accountable in a really, in a new way. Uh, they have the numbers. They do. They and they have the, have the passion. They yeah. have the voice. Um, they expect equality and inclusion like the second they walk in. And that's fascinating to me because I think what they encounter when they come in. I was going to say, I think they like, alone have been singled out oh yeah. as this like not... Like conforming, yeah, or like <laughs> difficult workers yeah. to work with, or like high maintenance, high maintenance. They're on yeah, their agenda, yeah, but entitled. I mean, they have been, they have, they have been singled out, and exactly. I mean, I think that's also why they have like a big voice, yes. with that as well. I know, but they're here to stay. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're 
expensive to lose. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are kind of doing the math and thinking about, well, and I encourage people to, I say, listen to your incoming workforce. Listen. Absolutely. Because that's your customer base. Like if you're ignoring that or you're belittling it, you're viewing it as a conflict where you're going to dom- solve it by dominating and basically yeah. being like, you will conform to the corporate culture. That's going to be a losing proposition. Mm-hmm. And I think actually millennials show up as authentically themselves in such numbers that mm-hmm. it really may make it so much easier for the rest of us to bring our full selves to work because that sort of, it's just an expectation. It's like, oh, this has been my life. Like, why would I be any different now that I'm here? Yeah. But senior leadership, unfortunately, yeah. is um, I think still in that kind of a resistant or a judgmental space. I feel like they want to change, but the actual steps of doing it, yeah. it's like tricky. It's like yeah. going through like the mud really slow. Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. want to there but I just can't you know why because so many of us in older generations like had to fight so hard to earn yeah what we have especially diverse talent and when I hear younger women complain about older women not taking an interest in mentoring them um, I always have to explain you the world that they have had to be successful in has been so arduous like you have mm-hmm. no idea what it's like for 15 years to be the only one like and yeah. to be like having those thoughts and hearing those jokes and having to kind of show up every day prim and proper and perfect, you know? So I think there's a, it's, there's an element of you will work, you will learn the hard way just like I did, Yeah. you know? And I don't, why do I owe it to you to make your path easier when nobody made my path easier? Yeah. And I was the only one. So you, I think everything can come back to kind of generational experience mm-hmm. and, uh, but it's a shame because like, you know, these, I think these these more senior women who, by the way, are still fighting like hell to hang on. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like their life is easy now and they're coasting. No. They are still struggling every day. So for me to say, oh, and by the way, you need to mentor all these younger women. Like, I can totally understand why it's not necessarily a fair, a fair ask. Because, yeah. like, if you are, again, like, back to our point of how much energy I have to expend mm-hmm. to be me to manage how I'm my image and to be an amazing performer. Like, do I have the time to give back because I'm trying to hang on and survive. So, you know, if you understand that that's what people are, you know, experiencing every day, like maybe you have some compassion yeah, um, and know that as a young woman, you've been given so much more freedom to be authentic and like mm-hmm. been congratulated for like who you are yeah. constantly throughout your life. Yeah. You know, and then I love that we young women will just come in like 24 years old and be like, here's what I want and here's what I expect. And I want to meet this person and I want a promotion after a year. And I want this kind of <laughs> like, nobody, like that's yeah. just crazy to a lot of older folks. So yeah. I, I have to have that conversation a lot too. But I think the message though is so important. We have to change and mm-hmm. companies are way, behind like where society is like way behind mm-hmm. because their leadership does not look like the world so think about who is making all the decisions about what the culture looks like yeah is not diverse mm-hmm. so they have no idea what they're doing and then they've got all these millennials coming in and it's a total disconnect and it's a very risky and expensive proposition to lose people that mm-hmm. you've spent all that time recruiting and onboarding and have them turn around and be like i can't hack this because it's not me yeah like that's going to hurt companies a lot. So, uh-huh. but I think the people that stay and figure out like, how can I be successful here? Be a change agent, build my brand, but be respectful mm-hmm. of sort of what's gone before me work within the system, you know, not so much against, you know, you can still kind of 
play a little jujitsu there, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, use the force, but don't like come at the force with force, but like sort of work with work with existing the with the force. Yeah. Um, I think those people are going to be, you know, leaders fast and yeah. really important voices because corporate America needs it. Yeah. I mean, like looking into the future, like five, 10 years down the road, I mean, where do you see, I mean, we kind of talked about like the future of like ERGs and companies, um, like more personally, like where do you mm-hmm. see JBC in five, yeah. 10 years? Yeah. That's a great question. It's always <laughs> evolving. Um, yeah. I have wanted to be an evangelist at large for the ideas that I talk about for a long time. I mean, I, I think I'm a reluctant CEO. Um, I don't love operations. I don't yeah. love managing people. <laughs> I love my team and I love the work we do, but I am so not kind of a day-to-day um, person, although I've had to be for 10 years. So mm-hmm. my hope for me is that I have a team that our consulting work continues, that it continues to grow, perhaps under sort of a group of us as leaders, but that my role becomes more sort of a founder at large. Yeah. And I, I hope to bring the lessons of what we've learned in the trenches to a larger audience. You know, I always, the, the word, the majority comes to mind a lot lately, engaging the majority. I believe we've really preached to the choir for a long time. The companies that get it, working with diverse talent in those companies to kind of encourage and um, equip. But I think I really have to go and kind of be that role model in places that don't even know what I'm talking about. And um, I also want to connect it. It's bigger than the workplace. I mean, it's really, it's really societal. It's Mm -hmm. really kind of outside in, inside out. It's looking at the role of work in all of our lives, like our, our professional journeys. Um, It's the changing nature of like, um, or how we earn our livings, you know, which is changing fundamentally too. I think that sort of company one company for life is long gone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and um, I just want to be a part of the conversations that are, we're, that are, we're really getting to the essence of, you know, why is what we do in the workplace so significant to the larger society? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for parents, for families, new kinds of families, you know, for girls, for the kinds of careers that we choose, you know, like me as a woman, like what did I even think was possible for me? Yeah. I was so limited. I had no role models at all. Yeah. I was, I've been, I could have built so much more in this life than I've built right now, but I had nothing to go well, on. I, I think you're, I, 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 I know, you're but, well on your way. I thank you. But, but like, I'm a, I'm just struck by that. Cause like yeah. I had overcome so many things and I made so many mistakes when I was building my business because I feel very, I was not mentored and I didn't even know what that meant and like where would I've looked, you know, and I, it shouldn't be so hard Mm -hmm. for people like me to come through and like build something Mm -hmm. that can change the world. And so I would love, you know, girls, entrepreneurship for women, um, certainly LGBT and getting more business owners out there. I'd like to work more in that space, but I'd like to continue to kind of do both. And, um, yeah, and I and I envision I think our consulting business is going to grow because there's more and more companies like I was saying before who have nothing going on. I mean, there I I meet companies that have sixty thousand employees and no diversity strategy. That's crazy. They're not. It's not anywhere on there. They might know sort of we should be talking about this. You know, maybe put it on the plan somewhere, but like do they don't know how to do it yeah. and, or why, and yeah. then they don't know how to roll it out and. So we do all that work, um, and then people are so glad we're coming. They're like, yeah. like they just are so excited. <laughs> it's I mean, really that's, nice. That's promising. I mean, and it gives, you know, like you always have work to do, and even though you know you probably wish like, oh, it'd be great if like 
we would have to teach like inclusive behaviors to companies. But I mean, so yeah, I mean, you'll always <laughs> yes, you'll always oh, yeah be working hard. Absolutely, um, <laughs> and I think that's great. I mean, so many reasons why you're an inspiration to so many people. Um, you know, like building your company ground up and you know, like having such a strong voice for the LGBT community and for women mm-hmm. and lots of reasons. I mean, I can just mm. go on and on. And on. Oh. <laughs> um, so it is, it's, you know, it's, it's really incredible what you do. So yeah, I think that's it, right? Yeah. I mean, awesome. if you, um, you know, like we're left with so many good things. I mean, we could ask you plenty more questions, but that's sure. really <laughs> another time. For sure. Um, could thank you, you so much for coming on. What were you going to do? Yeah. Yes. Could you share with our listeners, like, where can oh, we yeah, absolutely. online, social media? Totally, totally. Things. Okay. Well, believe it or not, I have the Jennifer Brown Twitter hashtag. I don't know how I manage that. <laughs> um, look me up on Twitter. I'm very active in Twitter. It's kind of my favorite medium. Um, Facebook, um, give or take, you can find us, Jennifer Brown Consulting, and Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, you can find my TED Talks on YouTube. Mm-hmm. There's two. There's uh, TEDx Presidio and there's TEDx Springfield, which was hosted by Mass Mutual, who's one of my clients. I think that's all of the, if I've forgotten any Your URL. Any place URL. Oh yes, my company's name is Jennifer Brown Consulting. If you'd like to receive our newsletters, which are always really helpful resources, I believe in in giving a lot for free of our expertise and Anything I write, I want to share out. So it's a great resource to kind of learn my world and see what we're up to as a team and where I'm speaking, you know, in the coming months. Mm-hmm. Um, so just go to jenniferbrownconsulting.com and you'll find our uh, info at email address. And awesome. In touch. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. this is so great. Thanks, Thank you ladies. so much for coming on. It's very fun. <laughs> Yay. Thanks, Thanks for the Sunday time. No, us. it was my favorite topic. Yeah. Um, and to find us, Go to nakedandinsideout.com. Please email us for any questions, comments, concerns at hello at nakedandinsideout.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on iTunes. And if you are listening through iTunes, if you could please give us a rating and or feedback, we would totally love that. Great. Mm -hmm. Until next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.